Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Russia has launched another wave of missiles at Ukrainian cities in the early hours of the morning. The Russian military attacking from the south, the north, the east, taking out military installations. Increasing tensions between the U.S. and China could cost the world 2% of its GDP. Tonight, tensions flaring after that Chinese warship nearly collided with a U.S. military destroyer in the Taiwan Strait. On the global stage, two countries preoccupy the attention of Western powers. China and Russia. China has become a global economic juggernaut. Lots of us think of China's economy as this giant, an economic miracle. Both the Chinese government and US government realize that uh, this is not necessarily going to be a cordial or delicate relationship. Russia is waging a brutal and costly war in Ukraine. Ukraine's president has been calling on civilians to fight, appealing for help, while this assault is unfolding across Ukraine. Certainly in terms of drone attacks, there's been a massive escalation. But for the Holy See, the smallest sovereign state on Earth, neither economic nor military power can determine the Pope's diplomatic priorities. In brief remarks, the Pope said he chose the name Francis because of his concern for the poor. The poor, the poor, he said. From the time he was elected, Pope Francis made clear that the poor, the weak, and the forgotten would command his attention, and that the church's mission must be directed toward what he called the peripheries. On the geopolitical stage, that meant traveling to more obscure countries. Pope Francis is on the ground in Iraq tonight, the first pontiff ever to visit that war-ravaged country. Pope Francis arrived in South Sudan on Friday for an unprecedented pilgrimage of peace. Catholics only make up around 10% of the population in Albania, but they see this visit as an affirmation of their desire to reunite with a wider Europe after so many years of isolation. And not only poorer nations, but culturally and religiously diverse nations where Catholics are a tiny minority. Pope Francis has kicked off his very busy three days here in the capital of Kazakhstan. And he started by addressing authorities with strong words about the importance of religious freedom. As part of his trip to Sri Lanka, the Pope met with leaders of the country's major religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and Christianity. Along the way, Pope Francis has radically reshaped what it means to evangelize. Where the church was once wedded to colonial aspirations and plagued with attitudes of religious superiority, Pope Francis is now planting seeds of peace, promoting dialogue and building fraternity across religions and cultures. And while much of the West's attention focuses on Russia and China, Francis will journey to the vast and sparsely populated land that's nestled between them, Mongolia. We are too small. We are poor, we are not so many. That's why we got lost in the ground. I feel that. Mongolia is hardly a geopolitical force. But this August 31st through September 4th, Pope Francis is paying the country a historic visit. Many have wondered, why Mongolia? 
there are only 1,400 Catholics in the country. Most Mongolians are Buddhist, and many don't practice a faith tradition at all. But in Pope Francis's vision of evangelization for the 21st century, it's the places like Mongolia, the poor and overlooked, that can cultivate seeds of dialogue, understanding, and fraternity. And most of all, hope for a different future. On this episode of Inside the Vatican, we're taking a deep dive into the tiny Catholic community in Mongolia. We'll dig into Mongolia's religious history. In many areas when the Mongols did come in, they were often seen as liberators from religious oppression. And we'll look at how 70 years of communist rule led to the country being largely secular. We'll talk with a missionary who's worked in Mongolia for most of the Catholic Church's 30-year history there about what it's been like to help establish this community. We are considered that we are making the history of the church in Mongolia. And we'll talk with a former missionary about the challenge of helping people embrace Catholicism as their own in a culture that largely sees it as foreign. We're not there to impose a culture. We're there to present Jesus Christ. And it's not the foreign missionary who is the one who enculturates the message, but it's the people who receive the message. And that takes generations. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. The Mongols are largely credited with being very tolerant of other religions, practicing what we conceive as modern religious tolerance. My name is uh, Dr. Timothy May. I'm the professor of Central Eurasian History and also Associate Dean of Arts and Letters at the University of North Georgia. How did I get into Mongolia? Um, it all began when I read a book about Chinggis Khan in the fifth grade, and that sort of lingered in the back of my mind. Mongolia seemed almost kind of a mythical place when I was growing up. The Mongol Empire was the largest continuous land empire in history. At one point, it reached from the Sea of Japan into Eastern Europe, up to the Arctic and as far south as India, even stretching into the Levant. That meant that it encircled many different religions, and it had to find a way to make them live in harmony under one ruler, the Khan. They believed in celestial insurance. Everyone pray for the Khan. You can practice your religion, but don't bother other people. In many areas when the Mongols did come in, they were often seen as liberators from religious oppression. And as for the Mongols themselves, their religion could largely be described as shamanistic. Shamanism isn't really a religion in that it has like a textbook or, you know, a user's manual, if you will, like the Bible or the Quran. A shaman, I think, is a better compared with a psychiatrist or a doctor. It's the idea that there's interaction with the spirit world and the shaman is the intermediary with that. Other religions like Buddhism, Islam and Eastern Christianity made inroads in the Mongol Empire at its height in the 13th and 14th centuries. But Catholicism was largely absent, with a couple of exceptions. We do get Catholics coming into the Mongol Empire after the Mongol invasions of Europe, where everyone is utterly bewildered. And so the Pope will send in the 1240s John Plano Carpini to go to the court of the Mongol Khans and figure out what's going on. He's a spy. Plano Carpini was a spy. But he was also a Franciscan missionary dispatched to the farthest corners of the Mongol Empire. And this comes out of part of the 
Council of Lyon in the early 1240s, where basically they're looking around, figuring out where they can send missionaries. And Planar Carpini comes back with a very useful report. He does not think highly of the Mongols or the Christians he meets there. They're not Catholics. It's fascinating. We get this very obese friar bouncing along the step. He constantly complains about the food. But he had the makings of a great anthropologist in the level of detail he recorded. And then later in the 1250s, Planar Carpini brings back a letter from Guyukan for the Pope. It was an invitation to Mongolia, but not one he would have wanted. The Mongols sent a very menacing letter to the papacy. Basically, he and all the princes of Europe need to come to Mongolia and submit. And if you don't, well, we shall see. Popes generally stayed away from Mongolia after that. Although King Louis IX of France, known to English speakers as St. Louis, did send a missionary named William of Rubric to gather some information. From William, we get this wonderful detail about the capital city, all these other religious buildings. We have uh, Buddhist temples. We have a Taoist temple. We have a mosque. We have a Church of the East cathedral. The Mongols will have religious debates where everyone is attempting to defend their religion. We have team monotheist where we have the Muslims and the Christians on one side versus the Buddhists and the Taoists. And everyone goes away thinking the Khan is about to convert to their religion. So were the Khans ever religiously affiliated? Not in the, the heyday of the Mongol Empire. They always placed the Mongol Empire above religion. And one of the reasons for this is at that time, uh, religion was a very narrow scope. This was your identity. So if you became a Christian, you were no longer Mongol. If you became a Muslim, you were no longer Mongol. It would mean that you'd have to change the way you dressed, the way you ate, things like that. Now, later, the Mongols do convert. Many of the Mongol leaders will convert to uh, Islam and Buddhism. In any case, Christianity largely died out when the Mongol Empire fell in the 14th century. In the ensuing centuries, shamanism and Buddhism were the most popular religions, although the larger culture was indifferent to religion. After World War I, the country was briefly a Buddhist theocracy under the leadership of the Mongolian equivalent of the Dalai Lama, the Jetsundamba Kuktuktu. But after a Soviet-backed revolution in the early 1920s, Mongolia became the world's second communist country tolerating Buddhism for a few years before bringing it to a violent end. And uh, after that, Mongolia officially becomes atheist until 1990, when you have the collapse of the Soviet Union. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The change from communism to a market economy left many people in Mongolia destitute. But with restrictions on religion now lifted, missionary groups flooded in. In some cases, the government even invited them, knowing that the missionaries could help provide education and social services. Now, in 1992, we have the Catholic mission coming in under then-Father Padilla, Wenceslao Padilla, a Filipino, and he really focused on social services for the poor. And this, I think, impressed a lot of people. Many join, I think, the Catholic Church because they see it as a source 
of good, meaning that they provide social services. You can receive these services without being a member of the church, without being baptized. There's no expectation. So it's seen as a benign entity, whereas some other organizations have been certainly scrutinized as, you know, what are they really up to? Those services are often Mongolians' first point of connection with the church. While Pope Francis is in the country, he'll be dedicating a new service center called the House of Mercy and meeting with charity workers. So where does all of this leave religion in Mongolia today? About half of Mongolians are Buddhist, and another 40% profess no religion. Islam, shamanism, and Christianity are tiny minorities, each with 2-3% to of the population. And of the 60,000 or so Mongolian Christians, only about 1,500 are Catholic. Mongolians enjoy total freedom of religion, and they pride themselves on their religious tolerance. It's one of the values like strength and courage that links them to their roots in Genghis Khan and the Mongol Empire. But tolerance doesn't always mean welcoming. A lot of people have been very careful about revealing their religious identity. They're often the only member of Christianity in their family or something like that. Why do you think that is, the the hesitance? I think it's like anything. I mean, you know, if you have a devoutly Catholic family and their child came in and said, hey, guess what, mom and dad, I'm a Buddhist now. There's going to be a level of freak out. And I think that's very true. It's considered a foreign religion. It's strange. It's odd. They don't understand it. After the break, how Pope Francis's vision for evangelization can help integrate Catholicism into Mongolian culture, even as many perceive the faith as foreign. Stay with us. My name is Brother Andrew. I'm originally from Vietnam. Brother Andrew Trung is a Salesian of Don Bosco, one of the main missionary groups working in Mongolia. I have been here for 19 years. Did you always want to be a missionary? Yes, I wanted to be a missionary because I was the Buddhist before I was Catholic, actually. I became the Catholic only in 1992 when I was, I was just a young guy. Brother Andrew was one of the missionaries invited by the government of Mongolia to establish a technical school there. He arrived in 2004, so he's been present for two-thirds of the Catholic Church's 30-year history in Mongolia. Catholic Church arrived in Mongolia only 30 years ago in 1992, start from zero. So uh, we are very small in number. The building of the faith in Mongolia we are considered that we are the, making the history of the church in Mongolia. And now he's playing an integral role in the next big moment in Mongolian Catholic history. He's the coordinator of Pope Francis's visit, helping liaise between the Vatican and Mongolian authorities to plan the logistics of the Pope's events. Brother Andrew thinks the Pope's visit will be encouraging for a country and a community that often feel overlooked. Like the gospel, the Good Shepherd left 99 sheep to look for the lost sheep. We're not a lost sheep, we're very the small sheep that need to be cared. Sometimes we feel a little lonely. We are too small. And financially we are poor, we are not so many. That's why we got lost in the crown. I feel that. The Mongolian Catholics Brother Andrew works with feel that too, sometimes within their own families. Often, when someone converts to Catholicism in Mongolia, they're the only person in their family to do so. 
So Brother Andrew sees his primary responsibility as accompanying people. The challenge for them is how to keep their faith. And so to explain to a family member, being baptized, being Catholic, is not being excluded out of religions, but we live in harmony. Promociones de la amicizia e del rispetto tra uomini e donne di diverse Pope Francis will be encouraging that harmony between religions during his trip. On Sunday morning, September 3rd, he'll give a highly anticipated speech at an ecumenical and interreligious gathering. And again, that's important because despite Mongolians' religious tolerance, finding harmony between the faiths isn't always easy. My name is Father Peter Turone. My first missionary assignment was to Mongolia from 2010 to 2013. Father Peter told me about a young woman there. Her father was not happy about her becoming a Catholic. So she was going in the city and she would see that there were these foreigners playing basketball. So they ran a school, they were Salesians. So she saw them and then she started playing basketball with them. So then one of the brothers would say, I have to leave now. My best friend is waiting for me. So she's like, okay. So he would always leave at the same hour. So one day she goes, can I come and see who your best friend is? So he goes, okay, come. He brings her into the chapel. So they go into the chapel. He kneels before the Blessed Sacrament. So she's looking at him, scratching her head, going, what is this man doing? (laughs) So then he explained to her about who Christ is and then how Christ is in the Eucharist. And that got her thinking. So she started to study the faith and she started reading scripture and she felt the pull to follow Christ. But her father was very upset about this, right? He was very upset about it. And it created a lot of friction within the family for quite a while. But then she ended up getting baptized. And I think it was her tenacity and the fact that she showed the love and respect and patience for her family, particularly for her father, which kind of made things better over time. But again, there was a misunderstanding, right? This is something that is foreign Right? It's something that's outside of who we are, and therefore it can be seen as a threat. Father Peter has thought a lot about this. He's from Canada and lives there now, where the church has its own history of mission work tied up with colonialism. And as a missionary, he's had to reckon with how to share the faith without imposing his culture or trampling on indigenous cultures. When I was studying in Rome, I studied at the Urbaniana University, which is the missionary university. So as I was studying there, we were made very sensitive to the different cultures and the necessity of recognizing that the Holy Spirit is already there. He's present. We're not there to impose a culture. We're there to present a person. We're there to present Jesus Christ. And it's not the foreign missionary who is the one who enculturates the message, but it's the people who receive the message. And that takes generations. It requires a lot of humility and a lot of work, right? So we had to study the language. That's how you enter into the culture and trying to understand what's happening, spending time with the people. You want to assume the dress of the people, understand the language, the customs, what they eat, understand their way of thinking, and then slowly present who we believe. So we just have to allow the people themselves with the Holy Spirit to be able to enculturate the message. And I think that it's a much slower process, but it's I think it's more fruitful for everyone. 
What Father Peter and Brother Andrew have described is exactly the model of evangelization that Pope Francis laid out at the beginning of his papacy in Evangelii Gaudium, The Joy of the Gospel. Evangelization, he says, is first about living a joyful life in a way that makes clear that your joy comes from Christ. Like the missionary playing basketball who visited his best friend every day, it sparks curiosity and it invites the person to look into this joy for themselves. Noi discepoli di Gesù, noi chiesa, stiamo seduti aspettando che la gente venga. And rather than imposing a new religion and language and culture as often happened in past centuries, this model of evangelization invites people to make Christianity their own, incorporating it into their own unique culture. But even with this vision of enculturation, many Mongolians still see Christianity as a foreigner's faith. I would say the challenge is to recognize that Christianity is not a Western religion. So for our Lady of Consolation's anniversary, what we wanted to do was we wanted to build a little shrine, a grotto that we made in honor of the Virgin of Consolata, our Lady of Consolation. So we put that there. It took a bit of work to build it. And then Giorgio and Sister Lucia at the time, they were the superiors. And the others, they met with the Mongolian Christians. And they were speaking and they were saying, okay, so we're thinking of getting a stylized statue of Our Lady of Consolation. Or you want something that's made in Mongolia. And guess what the people said? Well, what does Our Lady of Consolation look like in Italy? What's the statue that you have around the world? We said, well, this is the statue. And they said, well, then why can't we have the same one? It was surprising to us. This is what they wanted. And this is what they got. So it's very good to be careful, to be sensitive to the culture and the histories of the people. But at the same time, we have to allow ourselves to be surprised at what other people really want. And we can't assume that. In my conversations with Brother Andrew and Father Peter, it emerged strongly that Mongolian Catholics are really interested in the West, especially young people. And they see Catholicism as Western. That can be a challenge for missionaries, but it's also an opportunity. People, especially the young people, there are many, many young people, I think the majority are under the age of 35, they are curious about, again, the West. They're curious about what's happening on the other side of the world. And Pope Francis has a very pastoral good way of presenting Christ in a way that's accessible to people, especially people that have not yet heard of Jesus and the church. And it helps Mongolian Catholics to feel less alone, to know that they're part of a worldwide community. Father Peter told me about one Sunday when his parish was having tea and cookies together after Mass, and someone projected a video on the wall of Pope Benedict speaking in St. Peter's Square. Dear brothers and sisters, in our continuing catechesis for CEO Fees, we now consider the question of how we are to speak about God to our contemporaries, so I think it was a Wednesday audience or something. So we're all there and we're having our tea, you know, eating our cookies and watching the Pope speaking. And we're explaining to the people, those that had become Catholic, that in this world have like nothing, right? We're saying, you belong, that belongs to you. You belong to the church. Like Father Peter said before, enculturating Catholicism in Mongolia could take generations. Right now, the church there is young, only 30 years old. So it makes sense that it may still feel foreign. Over time, Catholicism may take on a more Mongolian face in the country. And in some ways, that's already happening. 
The church at the middle of Father Peter's mission is a traditional circular Mongolian tent called a gare. It's a tent and it's quite thick and it's very easy if you're a Mongolian to be able to build it. And it takes about a couple of hours and it's a community event, right? So people are coming together and they build this. In the center of it, you have a little fireplace and then you use wood or coal or whatever you can find right, because of the immense poverty there to heat the gear. And they'll use the stove for cooking, to make their tea, to prepare their meal. And that's on for at least a couple of hours a day. In the capital city, Ulaanbaatar, where about half the country's population lives, there's also a big Catholic cathedral in the shape of a gare. Col titolo di prefetto apostolico, e ho benedetto la cattedrale. The Pope will go there to speak to priests, bishops, religious, missionaries, and pastoral workers to encourage them in their ministry. Brother Andrew lives in Ulaanbaatar and is helping coordinate the Pope's visit to the cathedral. He thinks that the gare and other images of nomadic life are a unique way that Mongolians can connect with the Christian story. Many Mongolians, after all, are nomadic shepherds, and the image of a nomadic shepherd is important in Mongolian history and society. The concept of being a good shepherd, care for the sheep, people find it very similar to their daily practice. In some ways, it's easier for Mongolians, especially in the country's vast and sparsely populated steppe, to relate to the character of Jesus. And in a society that values strength rooted in its history as a mighty empire, the message of Jesus, of a God who is crucified and suffered with us, offers something new. Father Ernesto, he's one of the missionaries there, shared a story with us. And he said there was this one time when he was in the church and this woman walked in. She's quite elderly and she's very sick. And she was very sad, very broken woman physically. So she tried to walk into the chapel and then she sat down on one of our stools. So she looks up and she looks at the cross and she says to Father Ernesto, she says, we understand each other. So she was able to see in the suffering of Christ, her own suffering. And that brought meaning to the pain in her own life. Pope Francis is going to Mongolia because of people like that old woman people who are poor, beaten down, overlooked. He wants to be with them in their struggles. As a young Jesuit, Pope Francis had asked his superiors to send him to Japan as a missionary. He was inspired by St. Francis Xavier, the Jesuit who brought Christianity to a largely Buddhist and Shinto Japan. Brother Andrew thinks that now, the image of the Pope, who is old and often uses a wheelchair, but who is also an important world leader, will help communicate both the power and the vulnerability of Jesus. And so that to make the Mongolians realize that the Catholic Church, the figure of the Holy Father, is not an old man, but a spiritual leader. They have the spiritual father who loved them very much. He overcome his physical uh, tiredness to reach out to people and his angered people to reach out to other people as well. It's a message that Pope John Paul II had hoped to deliver to Mongolia. He had wanted to visit in 2003, but the visit was canceled, likely because of his failing health. Now, Pope Francis is entrusting the missionary leadership of Mongolia to a new generation. Last year, a young Italian missionary priest came to visit Pope Francis with a delegation of Mongolian Buddhists. Their religious dialogue was every bit as Mongolian as it was Catholic, and reflective of Pope Francis's vision for human fraternity. While they were there, Pope Francis announced that the missionary priest, Giorgio Marengo, 
would become the world's youngest cardinal. Here's Father Peter recalling when he heard the news. To be honest with you, I started crying when I saw the announcement. I lived with Giorgio for about three years. So Giorgio was like a brother to me, even though he was my religious superior. Giorgio is an incredibly humble man and he's very talented. His Mongolian is so perfect that people thought we were tricking them when they would meet him in person after having spoken to him over the phone. That's how good his Mongolian is. So Giorgio impressed a lot of people. His understanding of scripture, his understanding of the culture, and his sense of humor, humility, and the fact that he is a man of intense prayer, to me makes perfect sense. It's clear that Pope Francis sees Cardinal Marengo as a model of what a missionary should be. Someone who's immersed deeply in the language and culture of the people he ministers to, who works well with people of other religions while remaining devoted to his own in a way that's joyful, that attracts other people. It's an appointment that, like the Pope's visit, has helped Brother Andrew feel encouraged in his day-to-day -day work of accompanying people. Orphans, the poor, people who have converted to Catholicism but sometimes feel rejected by their families. I feel a little being empowered, be more confident as a missionary come from this own country. Before I got lost, sometimes I feel shy to talk to people. Now, you see, the picture has been changed. He hopes the Pope's visit will help Mongolian Catholics feel empowered too. The small Mongolian Catholic, they feel that they are being loved. Why they're not the Pope only, but the universal church. Of course, after Holy Father leave, the life will go on, cannot stop. And this continuation of missionary work is not just like the, the moment of blooming and dying again, but the keep the spirit is going on in another higher level. That's what I hope. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This deep dive episode was produced by me, Sebastian Gomes, and Maggie Van Dorn. Audio engineering by Frank Tucson. We'll link to a special article I wrote ahead of the visit. Be sure to check it out. And you can follow all of our coverage of Pope Francis's visit to Mongolia at americamagazine.org. Jerry will be traveling with the Pope and will be posting live updates on Twitter at Jerry O. Rome. That's G-E-R-R-Y-O-R-O-M-E. Please consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Media at the link in our show notes. It's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican and all of America's Vatican coverage. We'll be back with regular episodes of Inside the Vatican after Labor Day. For America Media, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.